This podcast includes reference to abuse, physical and sexual violence, which some listeners may find distressing. Hi, I'm Molly Catchell and welcome to the Gives a Smile podcast, the podcast where we will be exploring issues of sexual violence, harassment and assault with a focus on university students. There from the campaign All About Respect at York St. John University, this podcast will cover topics which some may find challenging, so this podcast might not be for you. But for those still listening, I welcome you on a journey of discovering truths. Through open and honest conversation, I aim to educate and inform people about the importance of respect and healthy relationships while tackling those challenging questions. This week, I'm joined by Hilary Conroy and Sarah Thompson, both advisors for the All About Respect campaign. In this episode, we'll be exploring sexual harassment. We'll be looking at our understanding of sexual harassment and common examples while delving into the importance of support for victims. So sit back, relax and enjoy the open and honest conversation. What is sexual harassment? The Equality Act describes it as unwanted conduct of a sexual nature. ACAS, which helps people with HR things in businesses, describes it as sexual harassment is unwanted conduct of a sexual nature, but it has the purpose of effect of violating the dignity of a worker or creating an intimidating, hostile, degrading, humiliating or offensive environment for them. Something can still be considered sexual harassment, even if the alleged harasser didn't mean for it to be. It also doesn't have to be intentionally directed at a specific person. One of the big things with harassment is it's not about intent. People always think, oh, well, you didn't mean it, so it doesn't matter. It's not about intent. It's not about what you mean. It's about what that person feels. And I think that's a big change in the law that the Equality Act of 2010, certainly the tone around harassment has changed quite a lot because people used to believe that intent was the thing that mattered. But of course, even if you did intend for it to hurt someone, you're not going to say that. There was that study that said that one in four women was experiencing sexual harassment at work and weren't saying anything about it. So there's still huge barriers to actually making that work for you in in a workplace environment. And do you think then with sexual harassment, it's complex to the individual? If you feel uncomfortable and you believe that that is sexual harassment and what they're doing, there shouldn't be a fine line there. That is how you feel and you should then take that to where that needs to go. The perception side of stuff and the individual's perception is something that we came up as a barrier with many, many times. I mean, me and Hilary in his previous roles, we did some work around sexual harassment and we produced a policy and procedure around sexual harassment. And then I was going to different businesses, different organisations, talking to people about sexual harassment. The absolute backlash that we got from that was you've taken away the fun, you've taken away this sort of banter you have at work and stuff. It's very difficult in that respect because it's not about sort of being the fun police, if you like. It's not about that. But if you are doing something or something's been done to make someone feel uncomfortable and that's not appropriate, there isn't a fine line in that almost. It's inappropriate and it needs to stop. But if you're an individual experiencing that, so for example, if you're sat in an office environment and someone is saying something which is inappropriate and everybody around you is laughing, but it makes you feel really uncomfortable, how do you then as that person get the confidence to go somewhere to somebody and say, that made me feel uncomfortable? There's sort of bullying around that of, oh, they're just having a laugh, you're taking it all wrong. And that can be really impactful. It's a really important point that it's very simple there's no grey area at all and what's really fun is that a lot of people really do think there's lots of grey area and there isn't but I think one of the things that comes up a lot when you talk about sexual harassment is people are somewhat nostalgic for some kind of 20s tongue-in-cheek being slapped on the arse in the office Mm -hmm. by the boss 
world. What's fascinating about the women who have been through that, so you find this from women who are older, so maybe in their late 50s, early 60s, even 70s. And I've had conversations with people in those age groups. And often what they'll say about this is, you know, young women, too soft, you know, that's part of the game. It's part of building up your resilience. It's part of the job. And of course it isn't. And that's completely rejected. But what they don't realize is by having those opinions, and if they're still in those offices, and they're still being treated like that, and you're saying that that's okay, then what does that teach the people who are just starting out? Once you put it like that to them, when they're saying, oh, it's fine, I got through it, so should they. When you say to them, do you think it would have been nicer if you didn't have to do that anymore? If you started out and you didn't have to let someone grope you daily, if that wasn't part of the job, would that have been a nicer experience? And they kind of do kind of think about that a little bit. Sometimes they're like, no, it's great. I was lonely, I was single, whatever, you know, that's a rarer occurrence now. And I think it's an age group thing. It's a generational thing. I think there's a lot less tolerance now. But I think when you put it in the context of people in their own life, okay, is it appropriate to hug at work is a very good one to start with. Because of course, if that's a consensual hug, then of course, that's how we greet people often. Of course, that's fine. Except if someone doesn't want to hug, you say to them, okay, picture somebody that you work with that you really wouldn't want to hug you. And they're the one hugging you. That's not okay. It's about context. It's about if that's okay, then that's fine. You carry on. But if it's not okay and somebody's saying this isn't okay, you'd have to take the feedback. I think the issue for me is with that is because people get so stuck on the fun police that you lose sight of the bigger issue that we've got here in terms of sexual harassment of individuals in positions of power who are sexually harassing their staff members, manipulating their staff members to do as they please. That gets lost within this because people focus in on this. You are trying to ruin our fun at work and this gets us through work. Now, don't get me wrong. I've worked in a variety of environments, mental health, there is this idea of dark humour, this thread of humour that goes through in some context would be inappropriate. Don't get me wrong, I've, I've been in that situation and it's got me through the day because of the stuff that you're seeing on a daily basis. And that is not what this is about. That is not about people trying to get through the day by trying to bring people up with a bit of a fun joke. It is a problem if it's going to be causing somebody offence or concern. But the issue for me is that we lose the bigger picture of what sexual harassment is within a workplace environment. So, for example, we spoke to managers and they were like, yes, yes, we need this, we need this, we need this. And then it got right high up the board to discuss it, predominantly all males who just went, no, not a problem here. Boom, no longer coming into that business or that organisation. That's the issue for me, because if they're shutting that down there, there's a problem. On the surface of it, it's ignoring all that that comes underneath that, all that derogatory behaviour that comes underneath that. And that's what worries me about sexual harassment and people pushing it to one side as like the fun police coming in problems that we have with kind of fun police and when people do speak out it's probably one of the most common victim blaming areas that we've got you're too sensitive you can't take a joke you took it the wrong way and I know what you mean about not saying low level but it is what we're talking about it's that comment that comment that people make or they make a joke that's really inappropriate and they think it's fine their worldview is it's fine and nobody would be offended by that so when they're told something is offensive it's like challenging their understanding of the world so they yeah. push back back against that with everything and I think the smaller it is almost the quicker they are to victim blame by people who are supposed to be dealing with this stuff probably the worst for it because they're saying well you're blowing this out of proportion you're making a fuss you have a vendetta against them all of that kind of thing happens quite regularly with sexual harassment which is why it's so quiet what we are seeing a lot of as well now is males coming forward speaking out about it there is quite a lot of females in power and males in power that are abusing the power towards males very difficult for various reasons for people to come forward as a male 
that we are seeing a lot more coming forward around sexual harassment. I remember before, like at work, I obviously work as a waitress, and I remember going into the KP area, and there was a particular guy at my work that used to always get a napkin and like hit me on the arse, and would like constantly try and like tickle my sides. I remember feeling really uncomfortable about it, but for me, I was like, I don't want to say anything because I didn't want to cause a drama. Thought if I was going to say something, this is just going to could have a knock-on effect on yeah. me, just going to like make it awkward. My manager might dismiss it, and in a way, like I think and recognise it felt wrong, but I didn't even realise that by definition that actually was sexual harassment and I think recognizing that is part of the problem I suppose people have normalized that kind of behavior again we come back to the media we come back to how things are portrayed how jobs are portrayed and how female experience within workplaces is portrayed in the media it kind of leads you to a point of acceptance when I first came to New York I worked in a bar I mean, there was outright sexual assault going on there. But again, that was just part of the job. And people just kind of decided it was that or they'd lose their job. And it was the only thing that they had in their lives at the time. Oh, well, if they don't do that to you, that means you're ugly or that you're not attractive and you need to be wearing shorter skirts. You know, the mentality of that within the victims of this, you know, it was hierarchical. It was a case of the more sexually assaulted you were, the better you were treated within the organization. It was very nasty. You know, we do so much work on bystander stuff. It never happened to me because I've always been like this and it comes out. I didn't know necessarily the facts of a lot of it until afterwards, but it doesn't matter. I saw stuff going on. There was no question that I didn't. And as a bystander, I didn't do anything because I didn't think there was anything I could do. I encouraged them to do things because they were the ones it was happening to. And I wanted it to happen to me so I could do something about it, which is a ridiculous thing to say, but it was true. But I felt really unempowered as a bystander. Whereas now I think that would be a very different position to be in. And I'd love to empower people who are currently in the position I was in. Because I think with sexual harassment especially it's the bystanders that can make the biggest difference yeah what would you say then are the most common examples so you have physical verbal and visual when you think of sexual harassment i think physical is the one that people first go to and i think that's with any sort of abuse people go straight in for the physical stuff so that a bit inappropriate touching all the way through to sexual assault and then your verbal stuff so your comments your jokes name calling derogatory and then sort of your visual stuff so particularly in like an office environment like cartoon drawings that sort of stuff for me they're the three main ones verbal is probably more common and it's brushed off a lot more but i think when it's happening around you the physical stuff feels tense if you're on a bank of desks one of the things that happens sometimes and and actually what I've found by doing workshops with people around this is that the people who do this stuff have no idea about the impact as well as I say the intent isn't necessarily there at all you know it's it's not necessarily all these predatory horrible people going around sometimes it's just ignorance of other people's experience of the world so one of the things that happens particularly with people helping on computers they bend over bodies so yeah. somebody's sitting on a chair and they kind of bend over the side of their head or they wrap their arms around the person to try and get the keyboard or the mouse behind them in a computer setting and I said this to a group of IT people who worked in a bigger organization that people who worked in offices and the IT team were in this training and I said to them how do you if you're helping somebody at their computer how do you do it and they explained and I was like do you not think that would be a bit uncomfortable because what they were doing was standing up and then leaning over and I said well if that was me I'd be really uncomfortable if you did that to me and they could not understand that point of view they couldn't understand why I would be uncomfortable with that because they wouldn't and I think it's about how you experience the world also said there's no other way for me to do it and I said well that's not true at all is it (laughs) you know if they can't get up out of their chair they have to stay in their chair for some reason then going down low so that in line with the desk bend down your body so that your head is desk height and you can do stuff from there so you're not leaning over that body 
or just moving them out of the way or getting a different chair. It's simple things like that. And that example is a really good reason why when people are accused of sexual harassment, Mm -hmm. when people are accused of making someone feel uncomfortable, at times they have no intent. Mm -hmm. They cannot see the world from that person's point of view and they reject what that person's saying. I feel like we have to do a lot more work around understanding that you are different. You experience the world differently because of who you are, because of how you've brought up, because of where you've been brought up, because of cultural stuff. All of that changes from person to person. And if you can't take that feedback, there's a lot of work to be done about recognizing that we're all in a specific place in our heads. And when that's challenged, that's really uncomfortable and really horrible to make someone feel a way that you never wanted to make anyone feel. It's a very different way of talking about sexual harassment, I suppose, than the predatory, usually management, usually escalating to sexual assault and rape. Those groups of people are the ones that people talk about, but that's actually not the majority. They're the minority. And the majority are people who just don't know any better and who just refuse to learn. For me, the training and the learning is so important. So in America, sexual harassment training is mandatory. So now organizations and businesses have to have sexual harassment training that has not come across to the uk yet although that is happening a few places but not widespread enough and if you look at specific policies and procedures around sexual harassment what we found is that sexual harassment literally got put into the bullying and harassment policy and procedure as just a header of small paragraph on this is what it is for example when you were saying about what you did at work there were no policy and procedure you could have gone to on how do I deal with this someone is hitting you on the backside with a Mm. napkin and trying to tickle you and stuff that would have been nowhere and it still isn't in a lot of businesses and a lot of organizations they still don't have anything that can protect staff in that way they should and them conversations need to happen I think we're a bit of a way off that yet because it scares people Speaking about this idea of being challenged on things, the other day I was scrolling down Twitter and I came across this feed of a girl telling her story how she'd been out for a run. And she got up early in the morning. She emphasised in the tweet how she had leggings on, had hoodie on. And then there was this car that decided to call out things to her as she was running, to which she was, you know, felt uncomfortable about it. And it was like sexual remarks. So she diverged to run to get away from the situation. And in the tweet, she mentioned she had headphones in. But the fact was that when people were commenting on this tweet, they were like, "Um, well, if you had headphones in, how the hell did you hear them say that? They were like, why didn't you run faster? This is made up. It's not real. It was quite shocking to read, really, because it made me feel like all these comments were ironically from men. It felt to me like they were getting defensive. As if they'd almost be recognised something in that behaviour that they might have done. But they were almost like, no, it didn't happen. You've made it up. Why do you think that this happens then? Why do you think people get on the defence? When you feel threatened, you go defensive. It's human nature. It's very natural to have that response. And I think the challenge for any training in this area is to get over that with people. Get them beyond their defensiveness because it's there. It's there in women. It's there in men. Far more men that react that way because it is a far more gendered topic the more that we talk about male victims of this and the more that we ask people their experiences and try and understand it from a male point of view in terms of being victims the more they get on side about that but generally you get a lot of defensiveness you get a lot of defensiveness also from women who have been through a lot worse women who have been through horrendous sexual assault and rape or prolonged abuse situations they have no empathy 
for the little stuff. You know, they pass that and they feel everyone should be because they've been through it and everybody should be able to get through it. And that's their narrative. That's how they've built themselves back up from some trauma. We have to be careful about how we manage trauma in that situation. Defensiveness is absolutely 100% the thing you should expect. If you say you hurt me, the first thing that person's going to say is either no, I didn't, or I did, but it's not the way you say it is. I did, but it doesn't mean what you're saying it means. Or I did, but you took it wrong. It's you. You have the problem. All of these justifications, excuses, that's what happens no matter what you're saying it about. It comes up a hell of a lot in sexual harassment, in sexual assault, anything to do with sex, because usually very private. So it's your word against theirs. But the actual fact of defensiveness is natural. There's nothing wrong with being defensive. What's the problem is people not reacting beyond that. definitions are important to understand areas of sexual harassment? I think they're important so that people have guideline, if you like, give them an understanding of it. I think definitions are great for that, but the problem is that they can be perceived and used in a variety way dependent on the context. I think that's the issue for me, but I think the definition of sexual harassment needs working on because I think it's a lot more complex. When I looked at harassment, it was like aggressive pressure or intimidation, and it isn't just as little as that. It's really important to give individuals and to give people an idea of what it is but the problem is, is like Helena was saying, in terms of defence, if you are somebody who is behaving in that way and you look at that definition, that's not you. You instantly go to the top end of things and, well, oh, I've never done that. I wouldn't do that. You perceive the definition as you are at that person at that time. So if you are doing a behaviour, you will instantly ignore that. Move on. That's not me. It's all about perception for me with definitions. So how do then we move forward then as a society to you know tackle the issue of sexual harassment? I always come back to management on this. Like I have no sympathy for people who just don't want to talk about this. You know, oh, it's not a problem in our organisation. I can't cope with those people because those people are wrong and they just are head in the sand, can't be bothered until they have a legal challenge. Those people need court cases to get on side with, oh, this might be a problem. And because that's so rare and because legal aid, I don't know if you know this, but when legal aid changed, they took away the legal aid for employment law. You can't access legal aid if you want to take your employer to a tribunal anymore. And that's not the most impactful. Domestic violence was the most impactful, but the idea that at work, if you want to make a complaint, you have to go through a very specific system. If you want to whistleblow, you go through a system. But if nobody at that organization is going to take that seriously and they're going to put that in a box and it's going to just stay there or they're going to fire you, if you want to challenge any of that, you have no financial support Mm -hmm. to do that. And the people who are most at risk from this are people who have the most to lose by losing a job, by losing income. The figures are horrendous because people are in impossible positions. They can't speak out because they know they'll get fired. For example, one of the biggest areas of concern is law. So Mm. if you start out as a solicitor, unfortunately, it's an old boys game. Tone is very common within that group. But also, if you speak up, you may lose your job where you are. And of course, there's lots and lots of solicitors firms. They all know each other. And it's a really difficult thing to want to go into a certain group of people and not be allowed because you spoke up about somebody harassing you or assaulting you. But for me, if if I was a manager and I wanted to stamp it out, what I would say is get used to giving lots of feedback in supervision. Get used to getting feedback from people. It's not a one-way street. Get used to hearing what people are saying that you are doing that could be improved. It doesn't have to be nasty. It's just a case of you sent me this email and I kind of wish you'd come and talk to me about that. 
workforce environment of feedback will really help this. So if you can get that feedback loop in place that people are used to saying how things are impacting on them, how decisions have been made and how that makes them feel. So if you can create that kind of dialogue within a workplace, you're flying because the second something happens, you can talk about it. There's an open door there. For me, 100% agree. And I think that training and the awareness raising and the conversations about it, making it something that you talk about, that you can talk about is really important to me. Understanding your staff, I think, is really important. Dynamics within your staff team. So if you're in a small business or a large business, understanding the dynamics there, because there's going to be different pockets of dynamics. So who's experiencing it? Maybe an anonymous survey, something like that to sort of understand what's Mm -hmm. happening in that organization, in that business, I think is really important because that gives you a starting point of what you need to focus on and what you need to work on. I think that the management, you get all the way up to the top there and then they go, no, they're the problem. They're the ones who don't want to talk about it. But it's talking about it, making yourself aware, staff team aware, the feedback is really, really important, having them conversations. I think stuff like we're doing, you know, getting people to think about it. You were saying, Molly, that you didn't recognise what you were going through as sexual harassment when you were experiencing. For me, that's the thing that something like All About Respect does. It raises awareness. That's what that means. I mean, we throw that around as a phrase, don't we, all the time. But that's what it means. That when you experience something, you know what it is. People understanding that if you grab my arse in a nightclub, that's sexual assault. That's a thing, mm. you know. And recognising that, using the words, I suppose, is exactly what Sarah was saying there. Opening that door yeah. and using the words because words are powerful. And if people put it down to bullying, then they're not tackling it. I'm not saying that bullying isn't important. It is incredibly important and can be really impactful on people's workplace. Again, the feedback helps with bullying. It helps with everything like that. Having those open doors of conversation. It's the words. We have to say sex. We have to say harassment. We have to say assault. We have to say rape. Because if we don't use those words, people will minimize it. They always will. That's the tendency. They want to make the world a nicer place. It just isn't that nice. We've talked quite a bit about workplace there. But in terms of in society, we talk about sexual harassment in public places. The bystander stuff. So the all about respect stuff is massive within that in being that active bystander to be a part of that so if you was running on the same street as that girl when Mm. she was running and you could hear that is it jogging up beside him asking them if they're all right even just giving a look to the people that are doing it's being part of that community and providing that support for each other so the bystander stuff i think is really really important when you look at sexual harassment in public places and remove the workplace from that. Absolutely. And I think public places are even more chances for people to get involved. One of the things that people do now more than anything is film stuff. It has such an impact when you're watching it happen because you can't deny it. And that's the one thing that has been so frustrating, I suppose, is that it's deniable. The people on those comments are saying, oh, well, how did you know they were saying that? Let's say this didn't happen at all. But if you've got a film of it, you can't say any of that stuff. Half of me advocates for filming stuff and half of me doesn't because it creates all sorts of other problems. <laughs> and people do not engage with the victim either when they're filming. They just film. You're not really helping that person individually. But again, if I was a man rather than a woman, I wouldn't be running up behind a girl who's being sexually harassed. So it's kind of, you have to take those things into account as well. So am I better filming this and denouncing it on social media as a man? Yes, that would be a better option for me as a man. Is supporting that victim an option because I'm a girl? Yes, we kind of have to do what makes sense and what's safety conscious as well, because the best will in the world, some people will say, okay, Sarah told me that I can go and help this person, so I'm going to go run up behind her. (laughs) But they're not interrogating their view of the world in that sense. They're not saying, if I were her, would a man running up behind me 
after this happened be a comfortable position? No. (laughs) More interrogation of how different your view is of the world will help everybody. People are being encouraged to do that for lots of things, not just gender, but things like race and disability and all the differences that we've got, cultural ones. It's trying to understand the world from different people's point of view and it's a challenge. So you have to want to do it, which is kind of hard. There's a lovely group of people doing this, but I think we haven't cracked how to get the general population to do it just yet. For me, when I feel like I experience sexual harassment, it's the general like catcalling, unwanted comments, you know, when you're walking down the street or walking home, just the no-go. That just makes me feel uncomfortable. But because it is in the public, it almost makes me feel like, well, who am I to talk to about that? If it was at work, even though I'd feel scared to then go to a manager, at least I feel like there's someone I could turn to. Yeah. But when I do feel like it's in the public, I feel like, right, well, what do I do about that? I'm like sort of left with that unwanted sexual comment and have to take mm-hmm. that. The thing for me as well in terms of sexual harassment is around sexual harassment from tutors to students, students to tutors. There's a position of power with the tutors to the student. That's a massive, massive concern for me and something that I don't think we're going to see the real picture of for quite some time because it's not something that anybody wants to talk about, but concerns me for me in universities. There's a few guidance uh, papers after coming out about staff to student particularly mm. because student to student it goes through a complaints procedure within the university but if it's staff to student it goes through HR there's stuff going on about that but I think again sexual harassment might not make the grade because it's not serious enough that's a big deal for that in terms of if you experience that in the public Molly just to give you some kind of outlet for that you can actually get support for that so group in North Yorkshire anyway but I'm sure there's equivalent elsewhere called victim support So if you experience something like that in public, you can phone them. They'll advise you on how to report it if they feel that that's the right decision for you. They're really good if you don't really know. Like if you think something's sort of a crime, ring them. They've got a phone line that's 24-7. So you can just phone them and say, look, this has just happened. Is there anything I can do about it? Is there anything that I can report this to? I know that North Yorkshire police are quite keen for people to report. It might be really hard for them to identify that person. But we have to encourage other people to do that. Otherwise, it's kind of a throwaway one person thing. But if the same person is catcalling every girl that goes by and every girl rings the police, then narrows it down. I don't know if you saw the ad campaign for London Transport Police a couple of years ago. Huge problem of groping on the underground, buses as well in London. So they were trying to adapt down on that. The British Transport Police were like, right, let's just try and tackle it. So they had a text number that they encouraged people to use. They advertised it really well. And it was all over all the buses, all these tubes. And it basically said, if anything happens to you on this train or on this bus, text this number, say what it was, and if you can describe that person. And what happened was they were able to create a map of a person and they were able to find people who were kind of serial offenders. People don't do this once. So by bringing all of these different texts together, they were able to map out a person, their route. If the police are given a lot of this information, they kind of have to do something about it. They are quite keen. We're saying, look, this is a big problem around the university. There's loads of sexual harassment. There's people kind of just catcalling all the time. And they'll say, well, report it then. Because if they don't have that reporting, they have no reason to get involved. But again, it's that inability to see things that you haven't Mm. experienced. It's just telling people. We all have a very small impact in terms of the people that we know. But if those people know how you feel about this stuff, it matters. 
that's yeah. how people learn is the people around them. You know, they might go to a training course. My worry about it being a compulsory training course is that people sit there, their arms folded yeah. and mm. just go, this is a load of shit and I'm not listening and you don't understand. And this is all lefty social justice warrior yeah. bullshit. I'm just going to sit here because I have to be here, but I'm not engaging and I don't believe you. I don't find that's a good way of engaging with people. Mm. There needs to be a full on movement of that. I can't just yeah. be that alone. Go on there, tick a box. It so often is. Uh, yeah, so absolutely. Any learning package. <laughs> there you go. Click, <laughs> <laughs> done. When I just sort of bring up these sort of topics, sometimes people say to me, oh, you're, you're millennial, you're woke, you're too sensitive. Yep. And that almost sort of shocks me because I think like it's not about being too sensitive. It's about this is a genuine issue which needs to be spoken about. I think with most people, if you push that a bit, it does tend to unravel quite quickly <laughs> in terms of so you're saying it's OK if someone touches me when I don't want them to that's okay okay if you kind of just play with it a little bit and just kind of ask people are you really saying that people should put up with this when they're at work like that's not their job they're not there to be titillation to a boss that's not their job the hierarchy is really important in this as well particularly when you think of sexual harassment so when we talk about individuals being forced to go on some training and that perception and understanding of a policy and procedure and who they are as a person they'll go straight to the, i'm not as bad as a rapist i only do this the hierarchy within sexual offenses is amazing anyway for want of a better word like i'm better than them because mine was against an adult and not a child i'm better than them because mine wasn't me mm. or i only said this that hierarchy people fit themselves and where they feel comfortable and then use them as the bad person and that across the board with sexual abuse but within sexual harassment that definitely comes in as well i'm not as bad as that and i think for a lot of people working in hr that's the mentality that they respond to victims with. Well, it's not like he raped you. Let's say somebody hovered over them at their computer. That's hard enough to bring up anyway because it's such a non-thing, but it is a thing and it happens all the time. I would like them to stop doing that, please. Can somebody have a conversation with them, please? But that's not how people work. That's not how people think. And in HR, it is that hierarchy of he didn't touch your boob, he didn't touch your arse. What do you want me to do about it, basically? It's not a thing. And that kind of negation is such a problem with sexual harassment because people do not feel seen, they don't feel heard, they don't feel validated, where you are creating a hostile environment at work by not listening to them. Mm. So that's where you breach the Equality Act, really, is how you respond. Yeah. It's not necessarily the sexual harassment on its own. You can deal with sexual harassment in a workplace. That is not a problem. You can deal with that. You can get that person in an office and you can say, stop doing this. I'm asking you nicely this time, but next time we're going to have some serious mm. stuff. So just stop. And this is why, and this is the impact you're having. And having a dialogue about that in the best of worlds. But you can deal with it. And if they don't stop, then you put them through a formal procedure. Then you get rid of them if you have to, because they're not learning. And it's about that taking the leap of making people accountable for their actions. Yeah. That's what management need to do. They need to make people accountable for their actions. And that's why we have so many horrible, toxic workplaces. People will not keep people accountable. And you can't do it. If you're on the same level, you can't do it. It has to be management. Taking the bull by the horns and getting it done rather than saying, yeah, yeah, no, we're a very equal workforce and we really like la, 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 la. And we do all this training. But when somebody comes to you with a complaint, what have you done? Show me your working. Show me what you've done. I don't care what you say. I want action or I don't believe you, basically. You've been listening to the Give Us a Smile podcast with Molly Catrell. 
massive thank you to Hillary and Sarah for joining me today and sharing their insights into sexual harassment. This episode has helped highlight how sexual harassment isn't always about intent and the need for better support for victims within workplaces. In next week's episode, we'll be looking at rape myths and victim blaming and the impact this has upon victims. But that's all for today's episode. You can find all our other episodes on the All About Respect SoundCloud. Thanks again for listening. For anyone that's been affected by anything mentioned within this podcast, please access support from the All About Respect website at reportandsupport.yorksj.ac.uk.